Hey, Rockbridge, uh, my name is Matt. Just want to welcome you at all six of our campuses. Also welcome you if you're engaged online with us in any form or fashion. We're just fired up that you're here. Thank you for being here. We're in part three of a series that we kicked off called How To, and it's just a real practical series for how do we follow Jesus? How do we live uh, as Christ followers? It's way more than just getting baptized. It's way more than just saying, I believe a few certain things. It's just... It's so this is a very, very practical series for us. And today we're going to talk about a, a how-to that I really believe a lot of us are wrestling with sort of in the church. Some of you aren't, but that's okay. But a lot of us are wrestling with this, especially in light of recent events, especially in light of kind of what we see going on in the world, what we see going on in America. And we're just wrestling with this, really this question. It's how do we live in the world, but not of it? I mean, you know, if God's goals for us were just, hey, go to heaven when you die, then when we gave Jesus the steering wheel of our lives and gave him our sins, then he could just take us home then, right? But he leaves us here. So he leaves us here to live in this fallen, broken, chaotic, tumultuous, confusing world. But yet he doesn't want us to be of the world in terms of our values, in terms of our priorities, in terms of our mission. And, you know, I know a lot of Christians are struggling because in America, it's like in the last five, 10 years or so, Christianity seems to have lost its like home field advantage. And so we're wrestling with that. What does that mean? You know, and other Christians like in China or uh, in this in Russia, they've had to wrestle or in the Middle East, they've had to know that the answer and how to deal with that long before we have in America. But we're still wrestling. Okay, what does that look like? What does it look like when I, when I go to work and, and my boss is not really a Christian and most of the people I, I live, I work with or people in my neighborhood, people in my second period algebra class, you know, how do I live in that and not become of that? And, and, and so that's the wrestling match. Now, let's, let's be honest, though. Some Christians don't see this as a need because of two, one of two reasons. You, you sort of think, well, we just sort of fit in the world. We just sort of conform and we pursue happiness the way, however it suits us. And then we just go to a great place when we die. And then others of you, you know, you maybe you're like, well, my faith is private. And you kind of believe it's a private matter. But I, I would just submit to you, this is an important how-to uh, for being a Christ follower. And we'll talk about that. We'll unpack that. Now, to help us answer this question, we're going to go to a guy who had to figure this out and, and, and how had to live this out. And his name was Daniel, and he had to live and thrive in a city, and an area called Babylon, which was very much pagan, very much not interested in the God of the Bible. In fact, the kings and leaders of Babylon, they would kind of see themselves almost like God or God or God-like, and, and they captured the Jewish people, and they captured Daniel, made him a eunuch, carried him and his buddies off into exile to serve the king. And so Daniel had to learn how to live and thrive in Babylon. So I, I thank God through the Holy Spirit put the book of Daniel in our hands so that we can understand how we too can live sent, like we say at Rockbridge, how we too can live in the world yet not be of it. So the, the, there's like a theme verse that kind of captures all of Daniel's life. It comes from an angel at the end that says, those who have insight, those who have wisdom, those who have the knowledge of God will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever 
and ever. And so we're going to talk today how to, how do we shine, how do we stand out in darkness as representatives of God. And I'm excited and honored that today I get to preach, uh, co-preach this message with all of our campus pastors, just six, seven, eight amazing brothers in Christ who, who love the cities that God has put them in, the environments that God has given them shepherding roles over. And so I'm just excited to co-preach that with them. So I want to pause, pray for all of us, pray for you as we dig into God's Word. God, we want to be found faithful for such a time as this. God, you created Rockbridge 20 years ago, and you gave us a burden, God, for those people who didn't know you, for those people who were disconnected from you. And we even put that in our mission statement, that we exist to glorify you, God, by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. And God, we want to renew that commitment today and this weekend, and we just ask you, God, to show us how to. How do we shine? How do we live sent? How do we live in this crazy, broken, fallen, chaotic world and yet not be of it? So God, guide our conversation, and may your truth ring loud in our lives and our hearts and show up in how we live. In your name we pray, amen. So the first thing that we're just going to need to understand is that God puts us here, God leaves us here to shine or to make a difference, to stand out and to represent him. And to make a difference, you and I have to be different. You and I have to be different. There is no such thing as a Christian conformist, as a Christian who conforms to the value. And I'm not talking about, you know, how we dress or anything like that. I'm talking about our values, our priorities, our character, our ambition. Uh, to, be, to make a difference, we have to absolutely be different. And, and there has to be an element of us that looks different than the world. And, and so what we're going to see as we navigate through various portions of Daniel is we're going to see someone whose name was changed to, to reflect, a Bab- to give him a, like a Babylonian name away from a Jewish name. We're going to see someone whose life was upended, whose homeland was destroyed, and yet he went to Babylon and he went and in some ways, you know, he, 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 he sort of was put into Babylon, but he was different enough that he shone out from Babylon. Now, one of the things that we have to know how to do, we have to, do, we have to understand to embrace this how-to, is we have to embrace purpose. I, I think there's a lot of debate and confusion in, in us that some of us think our purpose is to be a mom. Some of us think our purpose is to be a business person or to be an athlete. Or we think when we think of purpose, we think of, you know, we think of maybe what we do for a living. We think of our, our career. H- however, it's absolutely clear that all of us that profess Jesus as Savior, all of us that are left behind here, so to speak, we have a purpose that's very common. And in Daniel, we see this come out clearly. When Daniel is given an opportunity to speak to the king, watch what he calls attention to. He says, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner is able to make known the king to the king the mystery he asked about, this dream that the king had. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. 
the revealer of mysteries, so that's God, has let you know what will happen. As for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me, not because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king. So Daniel knows very clearly that the reason he is in Babylon, the reason he is in exile is not because God's lost control and God's not on the throne. The reason he's in Babylon is not to make a living. The reason he's in Babylon is not to make a name for himself. The reason he's in Babylon is to make known who God is, to say there is a God in heaven to this pagan king. And so our purpose hasn't changed. Our purpose, I would say, is to magnify God or to display God to a watching world that's in need of God. As as simple as I can make it, to magnify God, to display God. Now, let's be, let's be clear on this word magnify. There's two kinds of magnification, right? There's magnify like you do when you look in a microscope, which is to make something small look big. And there's magnification, like when you look through a telescope, which is to make something that's far away but massive to look more like it really is. We're telescopes. We, we are charged with taking this glorious, majestic, amazing God and then letting his image, his likeness, his love, his character shine and be revealed through us. And that is, where, that is why we exist. So whether you're a doctor or you're a student in high school or whether you run your own business or have a landscaping company, you exist, I exist as a preacher, right, to magnify and to display God and We've got to get so clear about that church if we're ever going to know how to live in the world, but not of it. We cannot get confused by what's going on politically. We cannot get thrown for a curveball by what's happening in culture. We cannot get confounded by the economics of the day. We exist to display God. I love this about this statement that William Temple makes about the church. Because sometimes the church you would think exists maybe to keep its members happy or the church exists to keep itself in existence like it's an institution that to be maintained. But William Temple is right when he specifies that the church is the only organization or only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not members because we're displaying God in and through the church. And, and, you know, you can ask yourself right now, you know, when you think of you being a part of Rockbridge Community Church, are you a part of Rockbridge Community Church because it's for you? Or is it about a maintenance thing? Let's maintain the church. Or are we on mission? We didn't start our church for ourselves because we made decisions about this church that we didn't prefer personally, but we thought would help us missionally display and magnify God. And as we turn 20 years old, Rockbridge, there needs to be, and I'm praying this for all of us, that there's a renewal in our church, that we recognize something, that our church exists for those who are not members. Our church exists to magnify God to those who are not members so that people might see the God that we love, the God that saved us, and rejoice in him, find him, and accept him. 
Now, again, these aren't my words. These aren't, this is Jesus's and the, and the Bible and scripture all pointing in this direction. Look at this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. This is New Testament language that reflects some of the realities of Israel in the Old Testament, right? That race, priesthood, nation, a people for his possession, but we're a race by faith. We're a priesthood by God's proclamation and declaration. We become set apart as a people of God. And look why, look why God did all this. So that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Proclaim the praises. Show forth the greatness, the glory. Telescope who God is. Now, when we talk about embracing purpose, there's three statements of clarity that I want to make. The first one is this. Do not confuse purpose with platform or position. God puts us on various platforms for seasons and for reasons. The reasons are the purpose. God gives us positions or lots in lives, but our purpose is the same. So our platform may be you're a, you're a high school student, you're a college student, you're a student athlete. Our, our position may be I'm a single mom, I, I'm a parent. Our position may be I own my own company. My, my position may be, you know, well, I, I, I work in this carpet factory, but our purpose is the same. So don't get confused, right, around purpose uh, with purpose, platform, or position. So Daniel gets exiled. He gets upended out of Jerusalem, out of his home country. His platform changes, his position in life. Life changes, but his purpose remains the same. So, so no matter what happens to us, Christ followers, no matter what happens to us, church, our purpose remains absolutely the same. And what we have to trust is like Daniel, that God's providence is at work in positioning us, in platforming us, in placing us in different locations and different pathways. And then we take our sanctified passions, our, our passions and our holy burdens that God gives us, and, and we use them for that, for a for his purpose. So you might say, hey, my passion is to play a particular sport. When that passion gets sanctified, you realize that sport is a platform for you to magnify God. You might say, hey, my passion is my career or my business. When your passion gets sanctified, then you get a burden that God would use you and use your company to magnify his name and set him apart. So just like Paul gets placed in prison, but his purpose is the same and we get half the New Testament written to us uh, in large part when Paul was in prison. This is like Daniel's put in exile, right, by God's providence. But, but Daniel's passion was God, and so his purpose is to make him known. Now, let's be careful, though, and let's make sure we understand something. How we go to work, how we go to school, how we go about conducting ourselves on our platform and in our positions matters. And the Word of God says this about Daniel, that he distinguished himself above the other administrators and satraps in the kingdom because he had an extraordinary spirit. So, so he had a spirit of excellence about him that, that made him stand out and gave him the right to be heard and speak of Jesus. Let's also recognize this in a, in a, in a statement of clarity, that when we have problems, there are really possibilities and opportunities. Daniel gets the, gets the opportunity to speak to the king because of a problem. And it happens multiple times through the book uh, of Daniel. 
And, and so Christ followers, sometimes when we get problems thrown at us, then what we're tempted to do is, is get bitter, get cynical, get afraid, and get insecure. But what we ought to do if we're embracing purpose is, is imagine possibility. How could God use this cancer to magnify his name? How can God use this recession to magnify his name and display him? How can God use me when I just lost my job to magnify his name? That that's the kind of God we serve, and that's the kind of purpose we have. Now, there's one third thing I, uh, that I want to mention because I, I get this a lot. A lot of Christians get concerned with the behavior of non-Christians, whether it's, whether it's the behavior in the, in the realm of sex or in the realm of what they do for a good time. A lot of Christians get bent out of shape. Can you believe what they're doing? And we group people. Let's remember something. The goal, our goal is not to change behavior. It's to change people's relationship with Jesus, and that relationship will change behavior. But we can't, our focus is never to change someone's behavior. We can never expect non-Christians to act like Christians what we expect is what? That we show them Jesus. They have to see Jesus and they have to hear from us what Jesus has done. And when they see Jesus as he really is, as we telescope him, magnify him, then that, then that seeing Jesus with, coupled with the Holy Spirit, coupled with a faith response, changes the relationship with Jesus. And then they start living in a way that pleases Jesus. So we embrace purpose. The second part of this how-to is we've got to be convinced of two things. God is the greatest. God is the treasure. God is the prize. It gets nothing, there's nothing better than getting God, enjoying God, but he's also the only way. He's the only way to be saved. He's the only way to go to heaven. We've got to understand that. We've got to embrace that. We got to have a conviction about that, that if people don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity apart from him. That in and of itself is tragic, but coupled with that in that they will miss the greatest in, in, the, in the cosmos, they will miss the greatest God, the greatest enjoyment, the greatest prize, the greatest reward, the greatest treasure. And when we get that, we get a burden and we have a desire. How can I not share with you how great my God is? How can I not share with you the solution to our greatest problems, which are sin, death, and the wrath of a holy God? How can I keep that from you? I mean, we, we share what? Favorite movie, favorite food, favorite restaurant. How can we not share the greatest, which is God? Now, now, I know this little phrase right here throws a lot of people off. God's the only, Jesus Christ. Salvation is in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. That, that throws people off. It comes across as arrogant. But stop for a second. If, I had, if there was one cure to cancer, and we started offering it to the entire world or one way to be vaccinated. Nobody would get cancer again. Well, I don't want to come across as arrogant if you just, no, it would be cruel not to share it. If we're like miners down trapped in a mine and all of a sudden there's a light and there's a little bit of, little bit of, little bit of tunnel. And I said, hey, this is the way out. This is the way out. This is the way out. 
Do you think all those miners would stop and say, man, you're arrogant for saying there's only one way out? No, we would rejoice that there's a way out. We would marvel that there's a way out. Where our God has provided a way for you and I to get out of this bondage to sin, for you and I to escape the wrath of hell, for you and I to enjoy God forever. So we proclaim that and we're, we're good with that and we're excited about that. Listen to how Daniel and how God is talked about in Daniel. Daniel praised the God of the heavens and declared, may the name of God be praised forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. This forever and ever part is what sets God apart from all the other lesser treasures, lesser pleasures in the world. And when we as a church Leave here at week after week from corporate worship, convinced that God deserves to be praised, convinced that God is the greatest and the only way, then we live sent as an overflow of the God that we've spent time with, the God that we love, the God that we know is the greatest, and we're thankful that he's even made a way at all. So what we're, when we assert Jesus is the only way, when we say Jesus is the greatest, we're not saying that in arrogance, but rather in hope and in love for our fellow man. Look at how they talk of God's kingdom. For he is the living God. And this comes from a, a pagan king saying this, Darius. For he's the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. So when we, when we understand that when we represent God and, and magnify God and display God and live sent for the glory of God, we are inviting people into a kingdom that will endure forever, never be destroyed and have no end. That's a very loving thing to do. We're wanting the best for people. If we let people live under the authority of bad kings and bad masters and live under the authority and, uh, of pleasures that, are, that will end, that things that will eventually be destroyed and a dominion that will come to an end, it's not loving, it's cruel. Our vision, we say it in our mission, in our statement of values, Rob Bridge, we are kingdom seekers. That's not the kingdom of America. That's not the kingdom of money, sex, or power. It's the kingdom of Jesus. And it's the best place for us to live in under his authority and enjoy him forever. So we have this conviction. God's the greatest and God's the only way. Now, there is gonna come a time where that we're in all of our journeys to live, to, of how to live in and not of the world, how to live in Babylon, where, where there's going to be some choices we have to make. And we see Daniel doing that in, in very, very early on in the book where he determines that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. He's not going to eat that diet. We see it in Daniel 6.10 when he learns that a document had been signed that you can't pray you can only pray to, uh, to the pagan God, the pagan statue, the pagan king. Daniel goes into his house and the windows in his upstairs room open toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So when we live in Babylon, we have to know when and where to draw the line and then not cross it. And, and what we mean by that is there's gonna be decisions and choices that we make where we say, I, I'm not going to cross that line. Remember, to make a difference, I have to be different. 
So Daniel's name was changed. Daniel took on a Babylonian name. Daniel got a Babylonian occupation. Daniel got a Babylonian education, but Daniel refused to have a Babylonian diet. Why did he draw the line there? Daniel refused to pray to the pagan statue. And instead he prayed publicly where he could be seen, where he could be heard. Not privately, church, publicly. And I think when you add those two things together, he's never gonna, you're never going to do, the line is always on obedience and disobedience. We never step into disobedience. But, but if you press it even further, there's never going to be a violation of your Christian conscience. And we got to understand, church, that sometimes where my conscience gets set can be different from your conscience as long as it's Christian in nature, and that's okay. Paul makes that clear in the book of Romans. But also, we need to draw lines that would undermine our distinctly Christian identity. And we should not cross those lines. So I would just pose a question for the sake of conversation in small groups and, and afterwards is, where's the line for you right now? And and if you say there's no line, then maybe you're conforming and fitting in too much in Babylon when you know you got to be different. And and there can be lines around money. There can be lines around diet for sure. There can be lines on a whole host of things that are products of prayer informed by Christian conscience and things we do to maintain our distinctly Christian identity. I will tell you something in my life, you know, I, I had to draw some lines and sometimes I crossed them and sometimes I didn't, but I, you know, I was in the Navy for a while and two lines for me were uh, trying not to cuss like a sailor and then not drinking alcohol. I'm not saying those should be your lines, but I promise you this, when you're in a culture like the United States Navy, those two lines make, mark you as different and give you opportunities to share why you don't cross those two lines. So we just have to think about that. And that's got to be part of how we live in the world, but not of it. Number four, we also take things to prayer, where we pray for breakthroughs and we pray for open doors. The first problem, remember problems are not setbacks, problems are possibilities for our purpose. First problem that comes about in the book of Daniel is who's going to interpret the king's dream. And the king was mad and he was frustrated. So what does Daniel do? He goes to his house, told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery, which led for Daniel's first opportunity to speak of his God. So when we pray for open doors, let's be clear. We are praying for an opportunity to speak of Jesus. We are praying for an opportunity to speak of Jesus. Colossians says it this way, pray for us. This is Paul speaking. He says, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities. Other translations would say open doors to do what? To speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's the gospel. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And then he gives further advice to the church he's writing to. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Live among those who are not believers. Live among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. In other words, 
You've got to do this. You pray for breakthrough. You pray for open doors. You pray to be salt and light. But what you are specifically praying for and alert to is an opportunity to speak, an opportunity to use words, an opportunity to share Jesus. Sometimes that's a sentence. Sometimes that's a paragraph. Sometimes that's a 30-minute conversation. But we are speaking of Jesus. We are using words to talk about him. Him, magnify him, say how he's made a difference in our lives. It could be something as simple as, hey, in my time with God this morning, I want to share with you. It could be something as, hey, at church yesterday, this blessed me, I want to share it with you. You talk about Jesus as naturally and conversationally as you do your kids, your grandkids, your dog, your cat, you know, the game that happened on Saturday night. But we have to speak. But we got to remember something. I was brought up, you know, and, and it was sort of like you had to force these conversations and knock on doors. And I'm not saying that's what we have to do. I'm saying it's natural and conversational. And I mean, the whole goal, you know, a lot of times was get them to pray the prayer. Listen, our job is to magnify by speaking and by acting in ways that align with the kingdom of Jesus. And so let's recognize only God can save, but we have to speak. We speak, God saves. We speak, God saves. We speak, God saves. But let's be clear. We have to speak. Let's be clear. We have to be able to share our story. Let's be clear. We have to be able to magnify Jesus, indeed, our character and our conversations. When given opportunities before the kings that had authority to take his life, Daniel always spoke of God. Now, to be real practical, what we like to say at Rockbridge is this, build and bring in order to bless. I build relationships with people. I build relationships with people with the hopes that I can bring them to a seeing God, but they could be brought to Christ. They could be brought, I could bring them to church with me. I could bring them to, to an, and have this opportunity to, to share Christ, what he's done in my life, or just say sentences that, that point them to Jesus. But I want to bless them with the greatest blessing ever. And the greatest blessing ever is Jesus Christ. The greatest blessing ever is what he's done for us in the gospel. And so I just want to take this acronym BLESS and break it down a little bit. We begin with prayer. We've seen that in Daniel. We listen to people. We listen to their story. We listen to their questions. We listen to where they are in life. We engage them relationally. Take them to coffee, right? Send them a text. Hey, prayed for you today. We serve practically. How can we meet needs? How can we help them out? How can we help them in school? How can we help them in their job? You know, if, if they tell you they've got a problem in their marriage, hey, I'll pray for you, you know. And, and then at some point we speak clearly. And we say, let's say, hey, can I share with you some cool stuff? Can I share with you what I heard in church yesterday? Maybe you want to come with me out to church in, at, at Easter. Can I, can I, hey, I, I just want to share with you that God changed my life about that, you know, five years ago or five months ago. We just speak and we're just being clear about Jesus. We're not being, you know, coercive. We're being just natural and conversational as we speak of Jesus. Now, hey, our, our campus pastors and our, our pastors are getting ready to come up and, and share 
But I want us to imagine something. I want us to imagine something, okay? In the book of Acts, the first apostles and leaders of the church, they faced some opposition. And it was satanic. And, and that same spirit of Satan is opposing us to this day. But it was basically, don't speak the name of Jesus. You can do what you want to do. You can believe what you want to believe. As long as it's you and you're, you're, you're few, you do what you want. You be good people. You, you have good, you know, you have your beliefs because you do you, but don't tell us anything about this Jesus. Sounds similar, doesn't it? We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, Jesus' name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. What if, Rockbridge, we resolved right here this weekend that we wanted to pray and bless and fill Cleveland, Hickson, Ringgold, Dalton, Chatsworth, Calhoun, our online connections, and any other place God gives us an open door with the teaching about Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I pray right now that you're doing a work in this church, a work of renewal, a work of reigniting a passion, a work of seeing possibilities, God, to live faithfully by living our purpose or what we like to say by living sin. God, what if we all made a commitment to speak of Jesus? What if we all renewed our conviction, God, that you're the greatest, but you're also the only way? What if we embrace that purpose, God? Lord, hear our prayers right now. At this Easter season and beyond, you open doors for us to share and speak of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.